Welcome to the Existential Edge Podcast, presented by the United States Association for Small Business and Entrepreneurship. How is entrepreneurship transforming university environments? What are its most compelling lessons? How can an entrepreneurship program make maximum impact on its ecosystem and change the lives of students and others in the process? Join Patrick J. Murphy, Goodrich Endowed Chair, Professor, and Director of the Entrepreneurship Program at the University of Alabama at Birmingham as he hosts leading entrepreneurs from across the country and beyond for provocative and insightful discussions of these and other questions. Welcome, everybody, to Episode 1 of the Existential Edge Podcast. This show is for entrepreneurship educators. In our programs, we will interview successful entrepreneurs from across the country and get their thoughts on entrepreneurship education. They'll talk about how they built their businesses and they will share their own personal values when it comes to entrepreneurship and changing the world. You can expect our conversations to be provocative, compelling, interesting, and useful to our job as entrepreneurship educators. I am Patrick J. Murphy, the Goodrich Endowed Chair of Entrepreneurship at the University of Alabama at Birmingham. I've been an educator for two decades, teaching entrepreneurial students and working with entrepreneurs, and it's an honor for me to serve as your host. Today we have a very impressive guest. Miss Erica Harvell is the CEO and founder of Nodad Inc. And we're going to get to know her really well and hear all about her, her business and how she built it, about her background and her personal style and her experiences. But she's going to share some really hard-hitting insights into entrepreneurship education. And from her perspective as a practitioner, what she believes it is important that we all teach. Erica, welcome to the program. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Excited to be that, part. <laughs> that's great. Yes, you are the first, and uh, it's a great beginning for the for the show. Yeah. So I, I figured we would uh, start with just a, a a general discussion about you and your your background and your style, your experiences, um, your values, anything that you'd like to share about how you got to where you are today. And then, you know, talk a little bit about your company. We'll get more into detail about your venture a little bit later, but we want to get to know you a little bit first. So go ahead and introduce yourself to our listening audience. Sure. So uh, I'm Erica Harvell, and I'm the founder and CEO of Nodet Inc. Um, out of Nashville, Tennessee. Um, I'm a Nashville native and uh, went to uh, college at Cumberland University to get my bachelor's in business and then uh, studied uh, graduate studies in strategic leadership at Middle Tennessee State University. And I started my career out at AT&T and I was with that company for 10 years uh, in the loyalty and retention. Um, wanted to go up to you know the corporate ladder, like everybody's dream. Um, and so I got the idea to start my company in 2017 and when I started working on it, I realized that I had absolutely no idea uh, what I was doing. Even though I had a, a business degree, I, I made so many mistakes um, when we first launched the company. And because of that, um, I decided to start focusing more on educating entrepreneurs, especially especially new entrepreneurs and small business entrepreneurs, so that they learn from my mistakes and you know get to success. Uh, much quicker. Um, one of the the things that I did when I got the idea to build know that I was just really excited um, because I thought, you know, this is something really, really cool. I didn't do a lot of uh, market research when we first launched, and that was the biggest mistake that I had made. And going back to my education at Cumberland University, which I love my school. And, and I think that, you know, they prepared me very well to be able to do what I did at AT&T and manage uh, another business. But I didn't really understand how to take an idea, a, a concept and turn it into a product 
and then turn that product into a revenue generating uh, stream of income um, to, for it to be a sustainable business. And uh, so that that's one that's the main thing that uh, I focus on and that I think that a lot of uh, colleges, especially when someone is um, going to school to get a business degree, entrepreneurship needs to be a part of that, whether it's business administration, whether it's marketing, there needs to be some uh, curriculum around entrepreneurship, um, even if it's just understanding why the person that you work for um, decided to build that company um, so that you can you know, better help innovate uh, and make that company more successful. So let me ask you something about you personally, then you, you were at AT&T for 10 years you at some point you made um, some hard choices about going out on your own, in spite of the fact that you didn't know much about what to do or how to turn a concept into an actual product or service. So, uh, not how not how you did it, but why? What 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 is it about you or your background? Is there anything about you as an individual person or your character, early experiences that gave you that empowered you? when it came time to make this decision or were you just scared and you did it anyway? I mean, there was a lot, there was a, a lot, as I uh, mentioned yesterday, one of the memories that I have was when I was nine years old and my dad asked me what I wanted to be uh, when I grow up. And I said, a businesswoman. And I don't know why I said that because we didn't talk about entrepreneurship in our house. Um, in fact, you know, when I was married, we owned a barbershop, never in my head, did I say, you know, that we are entrepreneurs? It was to us, it was, you know, a way of making money. It was just owning a business. And so um, when I got the idea to to start working on Nodat, it was really about, you know, me feeling like, okay, now is the time for it to be a black woman in tech building a, a, a multi-billion dollar business. Um, that was the main thing that gave me the, the courage to jump out there and do it because I wanted to, I wanted to give it a try because we, what we see um, is a stereotype of a specific type of person, um, a white male, blonde hair, blue eyes, going, you know, at an Ivy League school, um, building these types of companies. And then they showed us that they, you know, got the idea one day and then two days later they had $10 million. <laughs> so I wanted to kind of show the process of that. And so I told myself, well, I'm going to, I'm going to do it. I'm going to show more um, black, black people or more women that we can do this too. And then I'm, I'm going to let them see every bit of my journey. How and, important was it to you along the way to have mentors or people to give you advice or maybe role models that you looked at? Uh, what are some of the role models and mentors that you had along your journey over the past 10 years, let's say? Uh, well, I started out at the Nashville Entrepreneur Center and went through the in-flight accelerator um, and met with different uh, mentors and advisors there. Uh, but the one that made a really big difference in my journey is my advisor, Robert Jewell, um, who is the CEO of Exchange Solutions, which is a loyalty company. Um, Robert, uh, basically, you know, saw what I was trying to do and, uh, was passionate about small businesses as well. And he took me under his wing and taught me everything that I know, uh, right now. Um, and then I have gone through women's academies, uh, beta boom out of Utah. Um, and so it's been really, really, uh, valuable to me as an entrepreneur to have those experiences with entrepreneurs. Um, who have built companies from the ground up, have gone through trials and crushed those trials and then exited. Like it's been really, really valuable um, to have those type of relationships. And we're going to get into your business and what you actually do here in a minute, just for everybody listening. But we really want to get a sense of who you are. So I'm going to ask you a couple of uh, really specific questions because I know these come up a lot with younger entrepreneurs who are just starting out in the uh, life cycle of their business. The first one is, how do you approach these mentors and these accelerators? You don't know them. Like, how do you, do you just email them cold or do you call them? I think a lot of people have a hard time getting over the fear of approaching people they don't know. 
and then persuading them that what you're you're doing is worthwhile. Um, it's a little bit of both. I met Robert. Um, he came to. I did a business shower to raise money uh, for my business, and Robert came to the business shower, and um, he came up and introduced himself. Um, and so I just emailed him and asked him if he would be my mentor because he was in the same field um, as me. So, I mean, it's a little bit of both of cold, cold emailing. I haven't really, I wouldn't rec really recommend the code, the code emailing um, more so just, you know, following them if they're at a networking event, being at that networking event and making yourself known and walking up and introducing yourself. I don't think there is any room in entrepreneurship to be shy um, because there's so many entrepreneurs who want the same thing that you want. And so you kind of have to get over that and, and make yourself uh, stand out and ask. Are you naturally a shy person? Na yes. Na I'm an introvert. <laughs> so, I am an introvert. But when I want something, I can put that aside and um, and ask for it. That's right. That's okay. So that's the entrepreneurial mindset. So how do you get over your introversion? I know a lot of introverts do want to become entrepreneurs, but they struggle with getting over that. How do you personally, how did you get over that? For me, it's all about uh, the why um, in making sure that I reach my goal and, and not allow myself to stand in my way. Um, I, I always, visualization is really, really big for me. And so I always, uh, visualize that end goal and uh, and just force myself to do it because and then I, I talk to myself a lot and I tell myself like if you don't do this then you will not reach this step like whatever step it is that I'm trying to get to um, and so I just kind of force myself to do it so that I can reach that goal because that why is more important than you know my shyness at that moment I hope that makes sense oh that make that makes sense all right, everybody, we have just gotten to know Miss Erica Harvell. When we come back, we're going to learn all about her business, No Dad Inc. All right, welcome back everybody to the Existential Edge podcast. We are still here with Miss Erica Harvell. We just took about 15 minutes to get to know her and now we're gonna get to know her business, Nodat Inc. So Erica, if you could tell us about Nodat Inc. What do you do? What kind of impact do you make? And uh, anything else you'd like to share about your entrepreneurial venture? Yes. So this is the part that I love. I love talking about NODAD more than I love talking about myself because I, I'm very passionate um, about what we are, are building. Um, NODAD is a actions and incentives driven mobile marketing platform that drives new and repeat customers for small and medium businesses. And we do that through um, ephemeral Snapchat-like mobile coupons that help the business attract customers um, even during downtimes um, in a universal point system that not only keeps the customers coming back, but also incentivizes the customer to promote the business across their social networks. Mm -hmm. So it turns the customer into a local nano influencer. Um, and so go ahead. I'm sorry. No, the um, so what is the problem? You're, you're serving companies, not people. Is that right? Mm -hmm. All right. And what is the problem you're solving for those companies in simple terms? Well, small businesses uh, lose $1.6 trillion every year, according to the, the SBA, because they don't have access to adequate uh, marketing tools that helps them to retain the customers that they're attracting. And the, the majority of these tools that are out there are designed with enterprise companies in mind. Um, and so we're building a platform for them that's designed uh, within their budget and their know-how, so they get the same results. All right. So how did you come upon that problem? How did you find that problem? It's a long story. <laughs> um, I actually got the idea uh, from my son came running in my room one day um, asking if I knew about a new water park that opened uh, in Murfreesboro. And I told him that I didn't know about it. He had been getting teased by his friends on Snapchat because they were posting videos of themselves at this water park. 
And so I started calling around and asking my friends and my family and asked them, did you know that a new water park opened in Murfreesboro? And everybody said no, except for one person. And I asked her, why didn't she share anything about it on social media? Because that's where we get our information now. And she mentioned that she didn't think about it. She's like, we were just having fun. I didn't think about it. And so I started thinking to myself, um, like, how do we get locals to share what they know um, when they're happy instead of when they are mad at the business? Because they will go to social media when they're mad. But when they're happy, how do we incentivize them to say, hey, did you know that um, Joe Blow's coffee shop is giving uh, buy one, get one free? Um, and so I decided to, uh, you know, create an app and call it Know That and reward locals for promoting, uh, helping local businesses grow. So that's a really like clear problem. Anybody can understand that. Anybody can feel that. I think a lot of people have probably thought about that problem themselves. But what was it for you that made you take that next step and made you recognize an opportunity to maybe do something about that problem? Maybe you conducted some research. Maybe you approached some potential customers. When you actually started taking action, what made you go from feeling that problem to actually putting some information together about an opportunity to do something about it? How'd you start taking action? So if you if you remember, um, I said in the beginning, I made uh, mistakes. I didn't do any research when I first started building the company. It was like, okay, this is a problem that I have and my friends have. So let's build this app and it's cool. And we gained a lot of traction from that. But then when I started talking to the businesses and asking like, hey, why aren't you upgrading your package? That's when I found out the their real pain point was that they could not retain customers, that they were losing money. They were, um, you know, easy money for these larger platforms like Groupon and Yelp. And um, we had gotten to 10,000 downloads on the app, uh, 600 small businesses on the app. So I knew that there was an opportunity there. But then doing that research and learning of a real pain point that the businesses had is what gave me that uh, validation that, okay, it is time to be serious about this. And uh, I decided to go full time um, in, at the end of 2017. All right, so tell us a little bit about what your operations look like. Who's on your team? How many people do you have? What do they do? Um, uh, how do customers reach you, the, these clients that you deal with? I, and what are your practical everyday activities looking like in your day-to-day -day life? So uh, we do a lot of calling to businesses and, and visiting businesses door to door, uh, talking, meeting with partners. Um, we, of course, you know, I'm a founder with fundraising is a full-time job. Um, but businesses reach out to us uh, through our Facebook ads, um, through content marketing. We're currently building up a small business marketing um, resource hub to teach them how to market beyond big social. That's that's our goal is to help small businesses, uh, you know, market the way enterprise companies do at an affordable rate. Um, I have six team members uh, on my team. It's myself, my CTO, uh, our lead developer, uh, brand director and uh, two interns uh, working with us right now. And then also our advisors pitch in. Uh, we have wonderful advisors and they're very hands-on. Mm. Now, what's your, what's your fundraising strategy? How do you, um, like what kind of um, funding rounds have you gone through? What sort of uh, conversations have you had? What's your, what can you share with us about that part of being an entrepreneur? <laughs> Gotta be strong. <laughs> you gotta be strong. I feel like singing that song. You gotta be strong. <laughs> oh man. Um, I can honestly say, like, I was so scared to open our first round. Um, because when I first launched Noda, I had absolutely no idea about fundraising again. And I met with an a investor who told me that it would never work. And he told me that it would not work because I was black. I was a woman. I didn't have the network. You don't have the talent in your network. Like he was just saying all of this stuff. And I almost quit the day after I, I met him. He he had emailed me and was like, I want to help you come to my office. I love your drive. 
And so I, I'm jumping around the house thinking, this is it. And I get to his office and though that was his help. He was like, you need to quit. You're not going to, it's not going to happen. He said, there's been a lot of blonde hair, blue eyes that have gone before you um, that have tried to solve this problem that have drowned in the, in the lake and, and you're not going to be able to swim if they couldn't. And um, so I, he said, go home, think of an entrepreneur that you want to work for and let me know and I'll make the introduction. And so I got in the car, I cried, but then I said, you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to prove them wrong. I'm going to try anyway. It, it, even if I fail, I'm going to try anyway. I'm not going to let him tell me that, that it's never going to work. But that scared me into um, actually fundraising. Like I would, I, I mean, like I would get in shock every time an investor would say, yeah, we'll meet with you. I would literally get that flight of fright, like literally freeze up. But I always went to the meeting. Um, so this is our first big, big round um, that we're going after. Um, and we have a lot of interest. I'm, I'm comfortable now, <laughs> but um, even even uh, after having so much, so many meetings and practice, you still have to be really mentally strong when someone who thinks that they know the end all be all tells you that what you're building uh, will never work and that it's you're not the one to do it. You have to know, like you know, that you know that you are the one who can solve this problem and know your your plan and your strategy and your business backwards and forwards. And then keep moving and, and remember that that person is a human being. That person has a perspective. Uh, you can respect their perspective. You can choose not to accept it. <laughs> I think that first guy you talked to, he's either the worst investor I ever heard of or the best, because maybe he had some sort of crazy way of lighting a fire by saying that kind of stuff, you know, intentionally or unintentionally. That's um, And that takes a lot of grit on your part to go through that and not let that get you down and you know thrive in the face of that sort of um, barrier that was put up in front of you. It's resilience, right? Mm -hmm. So say a little bit more if you could. Um, we're gonna talk about education here in a minute, but one of the key parts of the entrepreneurial mindset that we find most challenging to teach in our field is resilience, not getting unnecessarily offended, treating every, like, e even if it's unjust or unfair, um, having the, the, whatever it is, the grit and the wherewithal to fight back and thrive anyway. How do you define resilience? Where do you find strength in the face of stuff like that as an entrepreneur? I, like I said, visualization of my of my goal and um, things that are important to me. My why? Why did I do this? Um, the everything that I sacrificed to get to where I am is it worth me just accepting what this person says to me and, and giving up everything that I've sacrificed? I cry it out. I have this thing like I don't. I do not. If I'm mad or angry or you know, crying. I, I close my my MacBook and I don't touch my business in that uh, mindset. I allow myself to feel what I'm feeling, and then I get back to work. And if if I have to sleep and wake up the next morning, that's what I need to do to make sure that I you know continue to go on. There are days where I say, you know what, I'm done. Forget it. I can't do this no more. But then I know that I'm going to get up the next morning and go to work. I'm going to get up and I'm going to do it. Um, I, I believe that me giving myself grace is what allows me to uh, be resilient. I've, I've always been a resilient person because if you read my bio, I've gone through a lot of stuff. So I, I feel like I've been in training for this <laughs> my whole life. But um, just giving myself grace is what allows me to be resilient. What is it about your business right now that excites you the most? Um, that you love the most about it? And then after you answer that, I'm going to ask you what you hate most about it. But right now, what is it that you love that gives you the most energy about being an entrepreneur? Uh, creating something that right now we're in this place of transformation. And President Biden talks about the Build Back Better plan. 
What I love the most about NODAD and what we're building is that we get to be a part of that transformation for small businesses. And so for like for forever, small businesses have been the underdog. Right now, everybody's eyes are on small businesses. That's what they've heard the you know for the last 12 months. I'm excited to to provide something to small businesses that says you too will have a transformation as the world transforms after the pandemic. And so working with these small businesses saying, hey, this, um, it, does this solve this problem for you? What do we need to do better? Uh, and getting their feedback, seeing how excited they are, hearing them say, this platform does this, but I like the way you do this. Like that is exciting to me, the the cre- the the part of solving that hard problem that everybody has tried to solve before. That's it. And what do you hate the most about being an entrepreneur right now? I don't like fundraising. (laughs) (laughs) It's a necessary evil. It is a necessary evil. That's the only part that I don't like. Yeah. So, so what are you going to do about that? Are you going to keep doing it or are you going to get someone on your team and start handing that part off to them? Or um, are you going to learn to love it or what are you going to do about it? I'm going to learn to love it. I, I, right before this meeting, I had a a very successful meeting with um, a fund who um, mentioned coming in as as lead. Um, And so I know that helps it. Um, And so hopefully that'll be, you know, take a lot off of not take it out of my hands but take a lot of <laughs> off of my hands but that's I'll right it. it's a necessary evil that's right no that's good and i think that's the right approach and you're right you find a good lead investor and they'll influence others to join in and mm-hmm. they'll be making that pitch for you and helping you out i think your business is incredible i love your approach i think what you've done is exciting and like a lot of our listeners i've worked with many entrepreneurs over the years and i see real potential in what you're doing now when we come back in the third section of our podcast we will hear from erica about entrepreneurship education what she believes is important especially when it comes to teaching the next generation of entrepreneurs Welcome back, everybody, to the Existential Edge podcast. We are talking today with Miss Erica Harvell, CEO and founder of Nodat Inc. We heard her talk about herself and her background and her approach, and then we heard her talk about her business. Now, we're going to hear from her about when it comes to entrepreneurship education. This topic is uh, what we all do, most of the listeners of this podcast. It's a newer area in the domain of business studies in terms of the history of business education, and it's a developing area. There's a lot of new approaches and a lot of students, um, growing numbers year over year are majoring in entrepreneurship, and there's a lot of great discoveries to be made. And the best place that we can go to learn what to teach that is relevant and helpful to students is to the entrepreneurs themselves. And so we're about to hear from a great entrepreneur about entrepreneurship education. Her business, uh, the website, and other information about Nodat Inc. will be included in the description to this episode. So anybody who's listening who wants to learn more about Erica's business, please go and check them out. They're based in Nashville, Tennessee. All right, Erica, so let's talk a little bit about entrepreneurship education. I, I know you you did go to university and you, you work with students and you're, you're no stranger to education. You're also no stranger to entrepreneurship, but what we really want to talk about in this segment is how can you best teach entrepreneurship in ways that change students' lives? I guess I'll just put that question to you and let you riff on that for a little bit, and then I'll come back in and we'll get a little bit more specific, but this is really the meat of the podcast. We really want to get your unvarnished views, your provocative views about what, what's good and what's bad when it comes to education and how we can do entrepreneurship education better? I think every uh, university needs to have an entrepreneurship uh, center um, where entrepreneurs 
um, students who are on the entrepreneurial path can actually go and do uh, get hands-on experience. When speakers come in, um, I think it needs to be uh, speakers who share from you know a relevant place um, that can teach entrepreneurs what's going on, uh, what trends are being used in the world today to accomplish whatever specific area of entrepreneurship that you're talking about, whether it be marketing. The marketing has changed. Um, and if we're still teaching the old traditional marketing um, tactics, when an, entre when an entrepreneur graduates and begins to uh, start building their business, trying to use those old tactics, I mean, they, they're not going to be successful. They're going to waste a lot of money. Um, and so I think staying up to date with what's happening in the world is really important um, with entrepreneurship education. Um, I'm on the Tennessee Board, um, Ed, Board of Education Advisory Council. And one thing that we do is we teach uh, kids K through 12 how to use the platforms today that small businesses use or businesses, period, use in marketing. So the curriculum that we built out, they use Hootsuite, they use HubSpot, they use, they understand how to use Google Analytics while they're in uh, in high school. So that when they get to college and they're on that entrepreneurship uh, track, they can then focus on taking that idea and applying what they learned in high school, taking that I, that idea and being more hands-on and, and practical with it. Um, also, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. Finish your thought. I was going to say also working, um, like being partnered with a active entrepreneur and being mentored by them and working under them while they're in college. Spend a year or two, you know, with an entrepreneur and watch how they build their business. So when they graduate, they're able to, you know, replicate what they've learned. Just making sure that it's not just, you know, textbook learning is mm -hmm. the most important thing. So entrepreneurship is a unique area when it comes to traditional textbook-based learning because we are one area within the business school that tends to challenge that traditional paradigm. A lot of schools use really intense outreach experiences, not just internships, but classes that actually feel like projects because they are working closely with entrepreneurs. The problem we face, Erica, is that a lot of times when we get so practical about everything, we lose the, the rigorous, conceptual, grounded, like theoretic core, you know, the stuff that's really important to the mindset and, and all of that. So we, we, um, we struggle with that as educators. Um, I'd like you to just, okay, so knowing that this is what we struggle with, what can you say about like do you think theory is even relevant to entrepreneurship? Do you think there's a place for frameworks? I mean, you as a practitioner, when you have a a professor like myself or like a lot of our listeners talk about these models of entrepreneurship or frameworks, do you think we should even waste our time with that? Or do you think that's still relevant? And if so, how does it fit? Where does it fit? No, I, yes, it, it, is still, it is still relevant. I think it's important to... Uh, while teaching that, you, you don't want to teach like the cookie cutter entrepreneurship framework um, because everybody's journey is going to look different. No matter if you follow step A, B, C, D, it's still going to kind of have a, a a dip somewhere, right? And so, it, yes, I do believe that theory uh, and framework is important um, in entrepreneurship, but being able to retain what it is that you're teaching through hands-on application is also uh, what's going to help that entrepreneur when they're, it's going to help them refer back to that framework when they're in, in it. Does that make sense? Yeah, uh, yeah, no? it does. And then to build on that, so we're teaching theories and we're applying theories to a bunch of different practical cases. And, you know, there's a little dip in the middle, like you said, it doesn't always apply in the same way, but it still applies. Mm -hmm. um, the other side of that is the the student themselves. So we're, we're if we're going to give the same lecture to a group of students, there's a lot of diversity in the room, typically, in terms of about every variable you can imagine, um, mm -hmm. who, who they are and 
their identity and how they handle information and everything you can imagine. So what do you have to say about that? I mean, a lot, especially in entrepreneurship, a lot of the students that come in are not traditionally honor roll students. They're some of them are at risk of dropping out because they don't think what they're getting out of their education is worth it. They have this entrepreneurial idea or something they want to work on. What do you think we can do as educators to better serve diversity? That is a million dollar question, right? Um, so explaining, and, and I don't think it's just college um, educators who are experiencing this. I was talking to my daughter's teacher this morning. My daughter, she's a senior. She's a senior in high school and she wants to be an entrepreneur. Like she has designed her own line and it's amazing. She doesn't want to follow the path that's been laid out for her or the path that everyone says that, that she's to follow. And she came to me, she said, I don't feel like I'm getting value in the education that I'm getting because it's, it, it's not relevant to me. It's not relevant to what I want to do. And, um, if there were entrepreneurship courses, she would not be struggling in school because she would be, uh, she it would it would make sense to her. It would be something that she could see that applies, see it applying to her day to day. If that right, because a lot of our educational content in entrepreneurship is it starts with the person, kind of like we started our conversation today. Mm-hmm. Who are you? What are your values? And then we build on top of that. Do you think that's important? In, I mean, I, I'm guessing that you do, but if you could unpack that a little bit for us. So the the diversity that's in our classroom, how can we connect with students and let them see their identity in the context of an entrepreneurial future? Um, I think I've heard you say before, um, it is what is different about me that allows me to make a difference. So how do we embed that sense of personal unique identity in the students into their learning journey? From an educator, it has to be putting them in different environments of culture or bringing that to the classroom, allowing uh, women entrepreneurs like, you know, that's a huge diversity um, trait that uh, the entrepreneurship world is talking about right now, bringing in women entrepreneurs and letting other your female students see and and learn from the journeys of those types of entrepreneurs um black entrepreneurs who are in high growth like you you see black entrepreneurs who are mostly uh in small business owners you don't see a lot that are building high growth companies so bringing in someone who's in who's in the trenches to talk to them and share what they've learned um, and like I said, making it relevant in for today uh, and at the same time, applying the helping them see like how did they apply the theory or the framework to their journey um, while being a black entrepreneur fundraising or being a, a woman entrepreneur going up against a male dominated industry to get customers. What did you do to the framework to make it work for you? Um, mm -hmm. I think that's really important. Right. So it's important. We've heard this before, but you're you're saying it again, that the individuals in the class need to see themselves in the material, either through the speaker, a guest, or a case, or something like that. It makes it more real for them. Is that right? That is right. I was... uh, in one, in one of the accelerators I participated in, we went, went over a case, the Harvard Business Review um, had a case study. This is, I'm sorry, Harvard School had a case study for fundraising that they teach to their students. And in this case, the founder raised like a $250,000 round and she got investors within like a couple of months. She raised a $250,000 friends and family round and she was able to get in front of Tory Burch and all this. And the questions they were asking us did not apply to me. And so I, I sat there and I said, well, and I raised my hand. I said, we don't have anybody in our family where we can go to and get $250,000 like that. So how, what, what do I do? If an investor says, well, have you raised a friends and family round? 
No, because the, the, the wealth gap for, you know, my my community is uh, really, really large and we don't have that many people in our family. Where I can go say, hey, can I get you $250,000 to blow? This may work. It may not work. Um, but so <laughs> getting case studies that are not just focused on one type that are monolithic and, and focus on, you know, one type of founder is going to be really, really important, too. That's right. Yeah, that, that is a key point. And we can do that through case studies in books and journals. We can do that through live case studies and guests and projects, structured projects with entrepreneurs that are intentionally selected to model diversity. And talk a little bit, if you could, about say, say you're a, a Caucasian student working with a Black entrepreneur. I mean, there's lessons there, too, for ones who are learning from diverse entrepreneurs, but not the diverse student, let's say, but a, a protected class or an entrepreneur that is, we would consider a member of a diverse population who's an entrepreneur. What can non-diverse students, if if that makes sense, learn from those entrepreneurs, do you think? Uh, well, how to build a diverse team, how to, there are, this is something that we're going to, talk about later on tonight in a different uh, podcast, but you can acquire diverse diversity traits, right? And so um, it's something uh, Harvard calls like 2D um, diversity, build, making sure that you build a 2D diversity uh, leadership team. And so even just pairing a um, minority and a non-minority student to work together and b maybe build a, a fake company together or manage a fake company together, then they learn from each other because we we all have to we all have um, things that we need to learn about this this race and that ethnicity, and so it's not just one or the other. If that if that makes sense. Um, yeah, the, the case study uh, that the Harvard Business Review did, they were saying that um, when monolithic tech companies out of Silicon Valley get together, they feel comfortable with each other and 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 they say, yeah, we're going to win. We're going to do this. And they, they take off and they win. But then you have the tech companies who are diverse and they have um you know, a, maybe a black founder, a, co, a, a white co-founder, like my, my co-founder is a white male. And so um, we like we argue all the time. But I tell you one thing, ideas come out like out of those arguments, ideas come out. We, we learn how to, um, you know, when we bring in somebody else, we automatically know how to, you know, approach that that person or a different situation. Um, and be, we're more innovative when we can say, when we're not just always on the same page, if that makes sense, because we, yeah. everybody has different perspectives and you're going to hear different viewpoints if it's not the same thing. That makes That's sense. Right. That makes total sense. We talk a lot about the, the business case for diversity, right? And if you have a richer universe of diversity and human capital amongst your team, you're better prepared to deal with a wide, diverse range of problems out there in the environment because you know you just are you just illustrated that your co-founder and you are more prepared as a team to deal with a range of things involving black, white, and others who are out there because you combine your capital and work together. And sometimes you don't see things the same way, but I'm sure that you learn a lot from each other as you work together. And so the challenge brings two people together from very different categories let's say and uh you learn from that and the business is stronger as a result is that yeah. right mm -hmm. not yes because then you you're not marketing to you're not only marketing or reaching out to one type of customer you're you're comfortable going into a, a different market right what what i found is with a lot of um black entrepreneurs we tend to sell to each other and so and if we don't start looking at diversifying our businesses as well we'll never be able to tap into other other markets that makes sense and the same goes for latino um businesses and and so it's all about profits right diversity equals profitability <laughs> <laughs> that's right so what are the um so in terms of your entrepreneurial journey and things that you're dealing with right now 
we're we're gonna start uh we're gonna start wrapping this up. We wanna we wanna come away with a couple of uh, next steps for you because we want to get a sense of your future and what you're gonna do and what you're thinking about right now. What is an entrepreneur in your position, um, starting out, growing your business? Um, you're you're on the cusp of some big things. What what's keeping you up at night? What are you thinking about right now? And what do you think that means for how we should be teaching our students who are gonna go down? A similar type of path, a similar type of entrepreneurial path. So, what's keeping you up at night? What What have you not figured out yet that we need to really make sure students are prepared for? So, when they get to where you are, they they can maybe handle it a little bit better. You can't do everything by yourself, and and knowing how, where, and when to find the right talent um, to help you build your company. That's one of the things that that keeps me up at night is that uh, I I know who I want. Um, I just have to figure out how to how to get to them and uh, figure out, you know, who I, I know who I want to bring on my team next. Um, I just have to figure out how to get to them and, and where they are. Um, and so teaching them how to to build the, a solid team from the beginning, um, the concept of hiring slow, um, firing fast, not allowing someone who uh, is is not constantly making mistakes, making excuses to be on your team because that will slow you down. Um, so hiring slow, firing fast. I think I know what that means, but say a little bit more about why that's important. Well, one, you don't want to waste a lot of money hiring the wrong person, a lot of money and a lot of time. That person uh, could, if they're, if they're the wrong fit, they could cost you customers. Um, they could, mess up your your processes, mess up the culture of your team that you um, that you built. Uh, and like I said, waste a lot of time. And so you so by hiring slow, you mean figure them out, learn mm-hmm. to know their values, take I mean that that's gonna take some time right there, right? But it's yeah. it's worth it. It's yeah. worth it. Yes. Um Zappos has a a long hiring process. Like they do a um a, I have to send you the link, but they do kind of like a, a little test and you don't even know that you're being tested. They ask you to figure out a problem for them. And if you say, if you have that mindset to say, I'm not going to do that and I'm not getting paid, then you're not moving on to the interview. Mm-hmm. Um, one of my mentors and uh, one of our investors, Sherry Dolchman, she she takes you to to either breakfast or lunch and you have absolutely no idea that you're being interviewed. And she wants to see, how do you treat the waitress? Are you going to leave a tip? Are you going to get mad if the waitress, you know, forgets to fill your glass? And if you have a bad attitude towards the waitress, you're not moving on in the interview process. So definitely getting to know that person outside of that resume, outside of that traditional interview is important when you are building a company. So what does that mean for, um, you know, the this view that, you hear sometimes in in business or in entrepreneurship. I know it when I see it, or gut instinct. I just know it. Do you, do you think that's real, or do you think it's real but it's rare and risky? Or how does that gut instinct relate to what you're talking about? Because you're talking about a very methodical getting to know them, building trust, and everything, which is not gut instinct. That's just getting to know somebody. And, and I hear you. That's important. But um, what's your personal take on? You know, I know it when I see it. It's rare, but risky. Um, very, very rare, but risky. And I've, I've actually had that feeling um, and hired somebody and it was not what I thought it was going to be. So it didn't work out. Mm-hmm. I think it's still like unless they have like this proven track record um, that you knew about before you met with this person, if that makes it like it's they're known and and somebody else has brought them to your attention and said, this is the person that you need to help you build this area of your business. Mm -hmm. Um, Then I would say, yes. Um, And still get to know them because they may be great at what they do, but they may have the worst attitude ever and end up making everybody on your team want to quit. And then you right. got to replace other people. Right. And then tell me about fire fast. What do you mean by fire fast? 
once you know, once you feel and see and know that this person is a, uh, I hate to say the word time suck or uh, negative to your culture, to your atmosphere or not doing the work, don't keep begging them to do the work. Don't keep asking them, why aren't you on this level? Um, cut it and move on um, to someone else. Right. And I think that uh, hire slow and fire fast is something I could even imagine doing that in an entrepreneurship seminar. When we build teams within the class over the course of a semester and they're going to work on something, the way that we pair people up and put them together and then the way we break down the teams and remove members, we could model that um, hire slow, fire fast logic in an entrepreneurship educational context, which I think would be a great forecast for and great practice for something that you're telling us is important. And yeah. I agree with you. I, I think that makes a lot of sense. Especially now, when co-founders. Right, right. Especially when picking co-founders. So do you put do you put stuff down on paper when you like when you bring somebody on or do you just build that trust and you feel it? I mean, talk about contracting a little bit and how important that is. It's very important. Um, and that's why I said, especially when building co-founders, uh, when bringing on co-founders. And you want to make sure that you put them on a vesting schedule because they may be good in the beginning. Um, and then they are someone who slacks off and the product doesn't get built or the, the meetings don't get set and um, they are not helping you build. And you find yourself doing all the work that you have this person on your cap table who will cash in off the work that you do. So that's why it's important to put them on a, a vesting schedule. We had a, uh, a person that was on our team um, doing some development work. They started off great, um, started to slack off, but I was so happy that I had learned about the vesting schedule <laughs> that now, you know, that person doesn't own any part of, of, of our company. So teaching that, because um, you have to have paperwork. You don't do it's okay to start with a handshake but then follow up with the with the paperwork right right no that's fantastic advice and I, I think there's a ton of insights into how we need to uh, teach entrepreneurship in the best way possible for our students this has been an amazing conversation um, we we got to know you we got to know about your company and then we got some really great insights into entrepreneurship education and the kinds of uh, resiliency and the, the team building and uh, customer discovery and the different sorts of hurdles that you've faced, but you presented it in a way that's generally relevant. And I'm sure that the listening audience is going to get a lot of insights uh, into what we do as entrepreneurship educators. So Erica, I wanna thank you very much for being the first guest on the Existential Edge podcast. And I wanna thank everybody for listening. We will uh, come back periodically with new episodes with entrepreneurs and we will get to know them and get to know their businesses. And then we will talk about entrepreneurship education. Until next time, I wanna thank our guest again, Ms. Erica Harvell. I am Dr. Patrick J. Murphy of the University of Alabama at Birmingham. Take care and ready, fire, aim. <laughs>